Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 271 of the podcast. It is January 11th, 2017. Joining me today is Isaac Mitchell. He's going to be talking with me about lean design for healthcare, the Society for Health Systems, and other topics. Isaac is a full-time lean practitioner at East Tennessee Children's Hospital. He's a lecturer at the University of Tennessee's Department of Industrial and Systems Engineering, and he's also an instructor for the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers. So you can read his bio. You can find uh, a link to a lot of uh, bonus material for this podcast if you go to leanblog.org slash 271. You can view and download the PDF of a conference poster on lean design that Isaac mentions in the podcast. You can read a special PDF excerpt of my book, Lean Hospitals. That includes um, the etch case study that Isaac helped me with and talked about in the episode. So if you want um, all of that, again, go to leanblog.org slash 271. Before we get into the episode, just want to ask one favor. If you enjoy the podcast, please go um, to iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, anywhere else you are um, subscribing and listening to podcasts through. Um, leave a review if you can rate the podcast. Hopefully, you'll give us uh, a top star rating. Um, if you have any feedback or comments, you can share them on those platforms. Or if you have any other feedback, you can always email me, mark at leanblog.org. Thanks for listening. And now here's Isaac Mitchell. Isaac, hi. Thank you for joining us here today on the podcast. Uh, thanks, Mark, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. So if you can start off, um, introduce yourself, um, and we'll, we'll get into your uh, background a little more, but um, talk about your current role, and then we'll, we'll kind of go backward from there. How, how's that? That sounds great. So uh, in my current role uh, at East Tennessee Children's Hospital, uh, I'm the director of Lean Continuous Improvement. I've uh, been here for about seven years now, and uh, it's been a, a great seven years. This is uh, my uh, first stint into healthcare. Uh, again, my background started in uh, industry, uh, automotive, and then I got really interested uh, uh, several years ago about applications of uh, process improvement, lean work, in healthcare, and, and uh, made made the jump here. So um, it's been a, it's been a great seven years. Uh, I get involved with you know all types of work with my role. Um, I really kind of act as an internal uh, consultant, uh, getting pulled in on different projects, uh, but we do all types of work. Uh, we're really working on the people development side and uh, uh, creating the management systems at, at Children's Hospital to support all this improvement work we're doing. And then, uh, uh, again, a lot of project work, where, which we're going to talk about today, uh, a big piece would be a lot of uh, lean design work with our, our new tower addition here at Children's Hospital. Yeah, I mean, we could probably do a whole separate podcast on um, the other lean work, the lean management system work. Um, but yeah, I'm happy we're going to be able to focus at least for today on lean design. We, we can always do a follow-up episode um, and, and kind of take a deeper dive into some of that, perhaps. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, so, you know, you're, you're working now um, in healthcare. Um, you know, you, for the listeners, uh, Mayor May, may or may not know, I'm an industrial engineer. Isaac's an industrial engineer. We've crossed paths through the Society for Health Systems, which is uh, part of the 
um, Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, some of the early days in, in your career and, and where you got started, I guess, like I did also in, uh, in the auto industry? Great. Well, um, I'll step back just a little bit. You know, I actually uh, learned about industrial engineering uh, and almost stumbled across it. Um, I actually uh, had a summer job uh, when I turned 16 at a uh, textile factory. And uh, I had the uh, distinguished job of uh, working on a hot knife machine. And uh, uh, you know, the pajama pants that people wear with the drawstrings, that was my job, was to cut out those drawstrings for uh, eight, eight hours a day. So, um, But I learned about industrial engineering because the plant manager uh, was an industrial engineer. And uh, we got to talk about um, uh, his career, uh, what he did, and what his background was. And that's really what... Uh, that I firsthand learned about the field and really sparked my interest into uh, what industrial engineers do. So um, that was a neat job because it really um, changed my my uh, career path and uh, studies uh, and got into the field. And that was just a great learning experience and has really stuck with me um, throughout my career, uh, getting to work on the front line and experience what uh, workers uh uh, go through throughout the day and uh, seeing what's good, what's bad. And uh, I learned a lot from that that plant manager. Uh, he was a really nice gentleman and always rounded on employees and made sure everything was all right, anything we can do to help. And uh, just a great mentor from the beginning uh, that introduced me into that. Um, you know, from there, I, I uh, went to school for industrial engineering at University of Tennessee and um, got introduced to Lean uh, at uh, UT and uh, really became inundated with the Toyota and Toyota production system. So uh, that's actually uh, uh, where I decided to have my first um, um, job role uh, mm -hmm. at Toyota and uh, focused all my efforts on getting a job there. And that's actually where I started my uh, first job right out of uh, college. So um, as an, uh, an industrial engineering type, type role. Well, so, yeah, we, we kind of delve into that a little bit more. It, it sounds like, you know, two very um, interesting perspectives that, that not everybody um, has the benefit of. of I, mean, I guess, you know, working on, on the front lines of manufacturing, doing that sort of repetitive work and um, having appreciation uh, for that and then having an opportunity to learn directly from Toyota um, as an opportunity a lot of people didn't have. So what, what were some of the key lessons, um, you know, some of the unique takeaways from your time at Toyota that, that maybe sometimes people um, don't get taught, don't get exposed to, you know, when they learn about lean and in different settings? Um, yeah, I mean, Toyota was just an outstanding uh, learning experience. Of course, I had read, you know, all the books, uh, lean thinking, uh, the Toyota way before I had started there, but to see it firsthand, again, was just a, uh, a unique experience. And, uh, you know, they write about a lot of these things in the book, but you can't really understand it until I think you're in there and living it. Um, one of the things that has really stuck with me that, um, uh, again, I carry on with me today is this constant culture of reflection at Toyota. Um, I remember finishing my first big project at Toyota, and it was reducing um, the number of engineering change requests um, that we were receiving on uh, replacement parts and you know I reduced it by 10% for North America and I was just so happy about the project and I finished my presentation and the uh, very first thing um, 
my uh, my mentor uh, and my uh, uh, boss there asked me is first, you know, what did you learn from this project? Hmm. And that's just such a unique question that you don't always hear from a lot of uh, organizations. It's more like good job or really proud of you. And, and they were proud of me, but they also wanted to know what I learned from the project and what I would do differently next time. And it was really, I think, them starting to teach me to be a, 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 a thinker, a, a thinking problem solver. Uh, and that was one of the biggest things that's that constant culture of reflection and being humble and getting better day in and day out, that culture of continuous improvement. And then it was just neat to be a part of that. Yeah, because, you know, there's so often, um, you know, just this drive for results and get results and get more results. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's uh, I don't know if it's, uh, it's not quite ironic. I'm, I'm misusing the word like Linus Morissette did maybe. But, you know, Toyota, by would you agree that, you know, by taking that time, to reflect, um, making that investment, um, making investment in developing people. Um, I mean, I, I think the idea is that that's an investment that pays off and leads to better performance, right? Absolutely. And then, you know, just another thing that, you know, my, my leaders there, um, uh, they never directly gave me answers. They were always coaching me through the problem and really helping me develop these, these critical thinking skills. And uh, that's something that, uh, you know, has been extremely beneficial throughout my, uh, my, my journey of learning about lean and the type of work that we do. And so then, you know, I'm sure you have opportunities um, to, to bring some of these lessons because, I mean, this is not... Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're probably preaching to the choir to our audience here, but, you know, that lean and Toyota production system is not uh, about a better way to build cars. It's it's a, you know, a culture and a, a style of leadership and, and there are you know, methods that are so um, transferable. And, and I'm sure you have stories and lessons that you can tell people there at the hospital. But, you know, there, there's that common response. Um, you know, people will say, in healthcare, yeah, but you know, you know, patients aren't cars, and it, it's it's sort of an obvious and true statement. Um, how often do you hear, you know, forms of that question? How do you respond and engage with people who are raising that concern? Yeah, I think uh, I think most people in our field have probably heard that question in, in some form or fashion, or you know, we're different uh, things like that. Um, I really start to question myself, um, you know. Why, why is this person asking this question? What is their thought process? Where have we gotten to the point where we have kind of gone down different paths where we're not aligned anymore? And I try to step back and understand why Why is that person asking that question? Where, where are we missing? What's off? And I really just try to, try to go back with, yes, I understand people are not cars. That's not what I say. But, mm -hmm. you know, what are some of your concerns about, you know, the, the work we're working on? Or where do you see that there might be some issues or opportunities. So really just starting some really open-ended, humble inquiry questions to say, where are we missing? You know, what, what are, what's the difference from where we're at? And what are some of your concerns with the work we're doing? And start that conversation from there. Um, because like you said, it's, a, it's an obvious question with, a, you know, that's, a, that's pointed, uh, but I'm really trying to understand their thinking behind why they're asking it and go from there. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's that's the right. I mean, that's a great approach of it's um, like a good lesson, perhaps from 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 Toyota of, uh, of asking why, seeking seeking to understand. I guess that's a little Stephen Covey. Yeah. There. Seek first to understand, because um, I mean, I think a lot of times people, 
uh, have legitimate concerns. And, you know, we have this discussion and say, well, you know, tell me what, you know, what, what's this concern? And we say, we, we can't turn the hospital into a factory. And they say, well, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we don't want to be rushing through patient care. I'm like, well, yeah, well, you know, of course not. We're, you know, I think generally, you know, as you have these discussions, you can find out that there's strong alignment between mm-hmm. what people want in healthcare and, and lean, you know, there a lot of times they're already feeling rushed and, and lean, I think provides an alternative to get out of that situation as opposed to, to making it worse. Absolutely. And I think another variation in that question is, you know, there's so much variation in healthcare. How can we apply these things that are in repetitive manufacturing to healthcare? And, you know, um, again, uh, I like to point out, you know, are there things that we can, you know, that are similar processes day in and day out? And can we look at improving those so we can free up staff's capacity and thinking ability to take care of those those situations where that we can't control and take care of those issues in the moment. So uh, I think that's another uh, kind of conversation or response to that question to help, you know, kind of change the thinking just a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, kind of stepping back and, and reflecting, I'll ask you to reflect now um, in, you know, your seven years of, of working in healthcare, um, some of the other things you've learned and, and maybe also touch on uh, some of the results that, um, that, that the hospital, the staff, all of you working together have, have been able to accomplish? Uh, there's just, there's been so many things that I've learned and so many great projects that I've had the opportunity to work on. Um, I think with healthcare, you know, uh, moving from uh, manufacturing industry, uh, just learning about the culture of healthcare, uh, the culture at, uh, you know, a unique, a specific facility, uh, the culture between groups, you know, a nurse is not a nurse. There's a intensive care nurse. There's an emergency room nurse. There is a inpatient nurse. And they all are driven by, you know, similar things, but also have different personalities. You have to tailor your your approach to improvements based on their, their work culture and their situation. So I think learning that over the seven years has been uh, really beneficial to uh, some of the work I do. Um, understanding what's important to people, uh, getting them involved and, and making sure when you're making improvements on projects, you're, you're taking into account what is important to them and, 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 and getting them involved in projects. But, um, you know, we've worked on a wide variety of projects at Children's. Um, just to highlight, you know, a few, um, some of uh, my favorite work that we've done here has been uh, really sparked by, by your book, Healthcare Kaizen, uh, where uh, six years or five or six years ago, we started implementing these uh, unit budget-based uh, continuous improvement boards, and this is really a people development side of lean. Um, you know, we're a small lean department, and um, to be honest, we're quite all right with that because uh, our role as a lean department is to develop people to solve problems um, independently uh, on their own and create these uh, these problem solvers throughout the hospital, not to have you know. Uh, task forward of highly trained, you know, purple belts or black belts or whatever you want to call those people, uh, go out and uh, solve all these problems for them. We have people that are dedicated to the work, understand the work, but also how to understand uh, how to problem solve and have the environment and the management system that supports it. So, you know, we've we've implemented uh, these continuous improvement board, the huddle boards, and uh, pretty much every department in the hospital. Uh, staff meet around these boards, uh, talk about their ideas, uh, staff members on the front line are leading projects um, and seeing great results. So um, those have been certainly uh, 
every time I see a project completed that's sustained and I've had nothing to do with it, that that's what really makes me happy uh, to see that work being uh, grown throughout the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and when, you, when you have you know successes, I guess that helps make the case for people that, uh, that, that, that lean is applicable. They can see it through their own participation, um, you know, creating better care, better patient experience, better workplace uh, environment. Um, you know, that, that, that's probably the, the greatest proof to, to let people learn by doing and, and convince themselves rather than yeah. having to just tell them, right? Absolutely, and I think having the, the dedicated resource in each department, you know, that understands this, and they are teaching the front line. It's not learning this lean tool from Isaac, the engineer. It's learning this 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 improvement problem solving methodology from Bill, the nurse. You know, and I'm here to support the Bill, the nurse, to help the frontline staff in doing their improvement work. So, uh, I think that that goes to help speed up the uh, the progress as well. I'll tell you other things that have been really beneficial here at Children's Hospital. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, add a team member to my team, uh, Marty. Jordan, and I think at her conferences, she's an RN in training, and she's just been an outstanding resource to bridge the gap between, you know, what I have learned in the uh, manufacturing field, uh, moving into healthcare, and she is able to work directly with frontline staff because she's worked as an ER nurse for 10 years and understands what it's like to be there and shows them, you know, this stuff is applicable, this is how we do it, I understand what you're going through, and we're going to guide you through this, so uh, I think finding that resource is helpful. Yeah, you, you read my mind because I just jotted down here. I was going to ask you about Marty because we, we've met a number of times and I, I knew she had a nursing background. Um, I, get, I think it's really powerful when you have a combination of backgrounds, you know, lean. I've, I've, you know, it's, it's never about, you know, an engineer or an outsider coming in to fix you. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's working together with people, nurses and uh, medical technologists and doctors and pharmacists and, and whatever background. Um, it's easier for them to learn lean than it is for us to become a clinician, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. So, that, I mean, that's really then, uh, you know, the people development side that's been a, a great part of my work here at Children's over the past five, six years doing that. But, of course, there's there's the, the, the tangible and the intangible kind of project work that we do. Um, I feel like we've had some great successes with some project work. Um, one of my favorite ones is a project that was actually led by a, a – uh, uh, a frontline staff uh, team uh, in the PICU, and uh, um, they were actually able to redesign uh, the uh, direct admit process and reduce patients' length of stay by uh, from 17 hours to 10 hours by, you know, really evaluating the process, mapping it out, looking at what's value-added versus non-value-added, and getting rid of those non-value-added steps so the patient was only here for 10 hours, get what they needed, and then go home and be back with their family. So. Uh, that was a great one. And and I imagine you know, from some of that improvement work, let's shift and talk about some of the lean design work. Instead of you know uh, Im- improving an existing process, I think you know part of what's exciting about lean design is creating something from a blank slate, taking a fresh look at everything, reinventing um, the space and and the workflows. Um, how how did that work lead into Lean design. Can you tell the story about, you know, had this opportunity, um, the hospital is building a new tower. What led to what prompted being able to do this, getting the support to do this in a quote unquote lean design approach instead of the traditional way? Absolutely. So um, I was very fortunate. I felt like I've been very fortunate a, a couple of my uh, jobs 
to be involved with a uh, new building project. Of course, this was uh, my first one in healthcare, and I've all, all also done one in manufacturing. But um, I think I'm very fortunate here at uh, East Tennessee Children's Hospital that um, a lot of the convincing or, or things that a lot of, I hear a lot of people having to go through, I've not had that issue. We've got a very forward-thinking uh, senior administration um, CEO, Keith Goodwin, and he has come to me and say, hey, we're going to do this in a lean manner. And we were on board from the very beginning. So I'm very fortunate here at Children's to have that. And we really have been uh, involved, um, you know, once the decision was made to build, to build, we were really involved after that um, uh, in the project four or five years ago, uh, working with the architects, working with um, staff from across the hospital, um, everyone that was affected by the change you know, was in there with the meetings with the architects through each design phase of the process and uh, going through it. Um, so great opportunity. Um, you know, it really started uh, with the schematic design and looking at what services were going over there um, and uh, how we wanted to lay out these services. Uh, it was, again, a brand new opportunity. Uh, this new tower at East Tennessee Children's Hospital is, is, um, holds the uh, uh, the NICU neonatal intensive care unit, uh, brand new perioperative space uh, for, for surgery, and then lots of uh, great clinic space for our, our families around the East Tennessee region. But uh, really starting from day one and just saying, what would be your ideal and working with the teams from uh, concept to completion uh, uh, to make this happen. So, um, you know, a few examples of that was the, um, the schematic design uh, where we actually started building, which you alluded to earlier. Uh, you know, card we called it Cardboard City, where uh, we started with the uh, architects from uh, Shepley Bullfinch and uh, built individual rooms for each area out of cardboard. Uh, they printed out pictures of uh, monitors, uh, uh, power outlets, uh, all the things that you could possibly need in the room. And then we had teams in there playing around with the space, moving items where they needed to, needed to go, constructing cabinets, and really getting all the, the, the things together in, with cardboard instead of drywall uh, mm -hmm. and, and electrical uh, uh, once we open. So, and we found some great um, catches with this, this work. Um, Little details that, that might have been overlooked otherwise, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the ones that really sticks out to me is, uh, you know, things like power outlets beside, um, you know, family uh, couches and chairs so they can plug up their cell phones, uh, things like that, that, you know, just tiny catches that people find uh, that we, we don't, you know, once you're in healthcare, you kind of stick to this healthcare thinking, but you sometimes step out of what the patient and the family's going through, and they're there to remind you, hey, this would be great to have this. I was in this room for a long time, and I'd love to have this power outlet. I'd love to have a little space to put my suitcase or just small things like that that, that come out when you have these cross-functional teams working together. And you mentioned the architect and um, I, I, were, were they chosen because of uh, support for this lean design approach and this different way of working together involving hospital staff, um, working with the hospital to, to kind of, you know, co-develop um, solutions instead of i think you know the more traditional mode is you know the architect is the expert and sort of tells you here's how you should build it can you can you talk about that relationship uh with the architects? absolutely you know i think it, it it takes a um it is a different way to approach and it takes a a different mindset of architecture-led design to really uh, um almost 
customer-led design uh, to what we were doing here. So it was, you know, that there are a lot of, you know, discussions back and forth between, you know, doctors and the architects or, or you know, the nurses and architects or, or patients and families and architects, you know, having conversations about what they would like to see here, different things like that. So I think it does take a unique uh, firm uh, to be able to accommodate this approach to really focusing and working together to come up with the, the final design of, of the product. So, uh, and, and I think, you know, pushing back and having an architecture firm that's fine with that, um, you know, we found some big catches. Um, the, one of the biggest ones was um, how the column grid was laid out in our pre-post section of um, perioperative services surgery area. Uh, there are 11 rooms that had columns in the center of the head wall, and that really limited space for um, the beds that could be put in there because um, it would uh, really limit uh, movement of the staff in the room. And uh, we, we modeled this uh, with, you know, all the different beds we have in the hospital, the, uh, where the different columns would land in the rooms, and we shared our findings with the architects, and they took those findings and they relayed out the rooms to avoid having columns at the head walls and just small things like that that could have been disastrous on mm. on day one were avoided by you know investing this time in our, our staff and uh, and building these these cardboard cities that, that we call them uh, to find these type of things yeah and and there are some pictures um, and and for the listeners you know, I want to thank Isaac and the hospital for um, you know, cooperating collaborating me sharing. Um, a, a case study and a few pictures that are in uh, the third edition of uh, Lean Hospitals that was released uh, back in June. You can see a picture of um, one of the uh, the mock-ups from, uh, from a cardboard city room uh, looking to a patient room from a nurse's station. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll, I'm actually going to be posting uh, a PDF of that part of the chapter on uh, the blog post for this episode. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, um, you know, I think it's, it's always uh, exciting to see the mock-up process. Um, you know, I think it's, it's probably, you know, I think, more time-consuming. It's, uh, it's an investment in uh, the length of, of that, that planning project. It's an investment of, of people's time. But every single instance that I've been involved in or, or visited a hospital, everyone's got their stories about what we discovered, what we didn't anticipate. It was easier to change the cardboard mm -hmm. uh, than, than drywall. Um, I, 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 I don't know if it's possible to say that this is the new conventional wisdom um, for healthcare design, but it, it certainly is becoming, um, uh, thankfully, I think you know, we're seeing more of this. Absolutely. Then, uh, you know, we did a lot of schematic design. Uh, we did some, some neat stuff with, uh, you know, modeling uh, our capacity needs. Uh, I used some really basic you know, spreadsheet modeling in Excel. And we had a lot of concerns because we were completely changing how we uh, approach surgery. Um, in the past, a patient would be assigned a room for the entire day, and that would be their room. And when they were done with it, even if they were done with it at, you know, 10 in the morning, that room would not be occupied for the rest of the day. So in this new design, we're having to flip these rooms around and uh, um, use them throughout the day. And there were lots of concerns from clinical staff that, you know, we're not sure if this is work. We don't. We're not sure if we have enough rooms. We're not sure if we have uh, enough ORs. And just doing some really basic modeling, looking at where the patients would be throughout the day in Excel, and, and showing them timestamps at 15-minute increments, uh, it eased a lot of minds and fears uh, from from staff that. 
this design will work and it's kind of validated you know ahead of time and we could get past that hurdle of this is new and scary versus okay this is a different approach it's going to work now let's really get into the process design and talk about all the details of how how it's going to really work once we start so yeah, and when, you know, if people are going to ask, how do we know this is going to work? That sets the bar really high, right? I mean, yeah. we can we can do our best to plan and anticipate uh, if something is going to work, but the, at some point, there's no substitute for uh, for you know for for trying. And so you had the cardboard mockups. Was there uh, a cardboard equivalent of the process to allow people to to sort of you know test this out before the doors opened uh, when patients started coming in? Absolutely. So um, one of the things we said, uh, you know, when we started this, if we, if we can change the process today before we new, move into the new building, we are going to do it. So really over the past two years, we've really been deep into the process redesign. Anything that we could change outside of the physical, you know, uh, building itself, we have been modifying and making improvements to prepare for that move in the new space. And uh, we've had a lot of help. Uh, I've had a great mentor, um, Jen Dieter with uh, JKA Consulting, that has helped us out um, with this this you know drastic process redesign. And she's just been a, done a great job getting the teams together and, and walking us through it. Uh, again, been a great mentor for me uh, to help uh, with this dynamic change. But you know, one of the biggest things we did is, uh, believe it or not, we are in the same hospital. You know. We were, you know, two floors apart from where the patient was prepped and recovered versus where they were in surgery, uh, two floors above. And we were actually on different EMR modules. So mm. a nurse in the OR could not see what was going on uh, on the pre-post area in the old system. So this was a big thing that we worked through, combining these modules in the EMR so we share information and can give status of where the patient is and create priority about what's going on. And uh, the team really worked together with Jen and all the different areas and not only just combined the, the modules, but stepped back and said, hey, why are we doing it this way? Do we need to ask all these questions? Do we need to have repetitive questions? And uh, this is where we got patients and families involved. We heard from our families. They said, hey, you guys get outstanding clinical care, but we hear the same question over, you know, over and over four or five times duplicate questions. What's going on here? And the reason it was because none of our systems talk to each other internally. Yeah. So we really had to step back and uh, look at what's going on. Do we need to do these questions and combine these systems so we can all talk and share information? And this is one of the biggest changes that we've had even before we've opened the doors in the new facility. Um, after we combined those, those, those modules and really got down to the questions that we had to ask, um, we reduced the total number of questions by a little over 60% and duplicate questions by 85%. Wow. And when you think about that, what I mean, think about what the patients and families are seeing. I mean, it's just a night and day difference. They see teams working together. They don't see repetitive questions. Mm -hmm. It's a much more peaceful environment. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite stories was um, I was sharing some of the results of the uh, Family Advisory Council. And um, one of the family members uh, raised their hand and said, you know, I want to tell you about my experience at Children's Hospital. And I kind of froze up there. I was like, is this going to be good or bad? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and we got everybody in the room. We've got, you know, important people in the room. Yeah. And he said, uh, I was here with my ch child. Uh, we've been here a lot for, you know, uh, we have to come for uh, uh, several surgeries for the, my child's condition. And I actually called my wife and told her, said, you won't believe this. This is night and day difference. 
Mm. It's very calm. The, the nurse has a lot more time to spend with me. They're not asking the same questions over and over again. And it was just a great story to hear just even before we move coming from our families that they could tell the difference noticeably right away. And you see it in the numbers, not only percentages, but our times to prep a patient for surgery uh, from the time they arrived to the time they were ready for surgery were um, at an hour and a little like an hour and 34 minutes. And just this, this week, we are averaging around 38 minutes to process a patient, get them ready for surgery from beginning to finish. So, yeah. uh, or beginning to a time for uh, operation. So it's just really reassuring to see those and, uh, again, do all this work that we can before we actually move into the space. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one thing to see data and a chart on the wall, but I'm, I'm sure for staff and leaders, it's got to be really um, just uh, so gratifying to hear the stories and the, and the reaction directly from the families of the before and after. And and it's not just uh, measurably better, but, you know, in healthcare, I mean, I think it's important. This is you know, different than manufacturing. The feelings matter. It feels better. I mean, and, and people are are happier and less frustrated. And it's you know pretty, um, you know, basic human emotion. But it's so important, I, I think, in a healthcare Absolutely. setting for people to, to be reminded of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other story I'd like to share is just from the nurse's perspective. You know, in the past, they were literally sitting at the computer, staring at the computer, asking questions. And they they were missing that 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 interaction with the patient, the reason they went to school to become a nurse to take care of, you know, people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the nurse, after we made these changes, she's like, you know, it doesn't feel like I'm doing my job anymore. But then I, I stepped back and I thought about it. Well, now I have time to actually build that relationship with that patient. I'm not mm -hmm. clicking through screens on our EMR. I'm not asking, you know, 60% erroneous questions that don't need to be asked. Uh, this, that time to build that relationship with that patient. And that was just another you know, great win, uh, you know, uh, that we had from our side uh, as we, we started to redesign this process. Um, so moving forward, we still have lots of work to do, and we're very fortunate. The, the building is complete. Uh, we have uh, moved in NICU and our clinics, and uh, surgery operates, or sorry, opens in March, so we even have more time to, to practice in the new space. Uh, we're working on things like signaling and communication between uh, the OR and the pre-post room. So we're going to have a lot of opportunity to really uh, play around and uh, be ready uh, to uh, hit the hit the ground running on day one. Yeah, and so some of this, this is update from when they, you know, that case study was written just a little over a year ago at this point, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it says here in the chapter, maybe, you know, uh, one other thing to, to ask you to elaborate on, it says here that um, you know, from your initial lean design work and the mock-ups that you're developing uh, a more formal uh, 3P process or, you know, production preparation process. Um, can, can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit and um, what that means for, let's say, the next opportunities you have to build or redesign space? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think with any design, you'll, you'll always hopefully learn from it and uh, uh, reflect like we were talking about earlier and uh, uh, talk about um, how you can improve and do better next time. And I think with anything, you know, um, it would have been great to have finalized processes in place before we actually finalized the design. That wasn't always the case uh, with, um, with um, our building. So I think the biggest reflection is maybe uh, if, if given the opportunity, really dial in that process ahead of time before you, you finalize any design to get it the design to fit, you know, specific needs uh, of what you're what you're trying to accomplish there. 
Well, and uh, boy, there's that that Toyota habit coming back again. What you what you learned um, along the way here, the lessons learned. Uh, Absolutely, that's that's, that's become quite a habit, it seems. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, uh, it's just something that stuck with me, you know. And then, you know, going back to what I learned at that first, you know, job when I was you know 16 year old, 16 years old, working on a you know a factory line, just. Uh, this constant uh, respect for the people that do the work and getting their input involved, you know, even in these rooms of, you know, 20, 30 people, uh, there would be times where we didn't have, you know, one um, uh, field of medicine in there and maybe we missed out on something they needed that we had to go back and retrofit into the space. So, you know, we had a few of those things go on, but there's, there's always something, but just thinking, moving forward for the next one, making sure we're thinking through, who all is affected by this change and have they come in and had input on it? So almost need like a checklist of uh, for in each defined design phase, who's affected and have they seen this and approve of what's going on? I guess it's a way of error proofing against uh, the mistake of forgetting to involve a stakeholder in something. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I was going to ask is a, a follow up from. The case study here. Um, what what progress have you made on the idea of level loading, um, scheduling, or the flow of patients? You know, the traditional hospital approach is still practiced in a lot of settings of kind of asking everyone to come in early, and you know, the, they're scheduled for a day, but they're not scheduled for a precise slot. Um, you know, I saw this when I was in uh, Thailand. Uh, recently, the operating rooms essentially did what you know hospitals here would call as follow scheduling, and mm-hmm. you know, there's a, a lot of waiting and uh, create, you know, creates need for a lot of waiting room space. It inconveniences the parents, uh, patients. It stresses out um, stresses out staff. Um, have Have you been able to make progress on some of that level loading front, or is that still we are to come? Uh-huh. It's still it's definitely something still to come, but we have actually just started uh, within this past month. Uh, really starting to focus more on um, the level loading because, um, like you mentioned, uh, typically as you see majority of your uh, patients early in the morning and then the, the utilization kind of slows down throughout the day. Um, now, I think we're a little unique in a, in a pediatric facility that for the younger kids and the babies, we do want them first thing in the morning because they are, uh, you know, can't eat or drink and uh, uh, they can be fussy by the end of the day if, if anybody's uh, had young kids, you can understand what what's that about. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, there's a patient need there. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a need, but there is also the need. You know, if we're running at you know 30% utilization in the afternoon, we need to start having a discussion about can we can we move some of the older patients or different types of procedures to the afternoon. And we're certainly getting to that point. Uh, right now, we're starting to collect data on that uh, room utilization. Um, you know, types of patients. Um, but this is something we're actually taking more of a physician-led approach on it. So uh, we as a department are sharing the information we need, uh, tracking performance by um, you know, uh, type of procedure, physician, things like that, and then kind of acting more as the coach and the mentor to this uh, committee, uh, physician, physician-led physician committee, and letting them really design uh, this level loading process uh, and it be more of a peer-driven conversation than a, a, a lean efficiency expert. I'm using uh, air quotations here, <laughs> right? For those that can't see, to design this, roll it out, and force it down, you know, the the, the surgeon's throat. So we're in the process of it, but I think everyone understands the need of it. Um, we've got a great group of surgeons here, anesthesiologists that understand, you know, 
they're not just thinking about themselves or just the clinical side. They understand that we're here and we need to operate and utilize this facility in the most cost-effective, safe manner possible. And, you know, they really see both sides of it. And we're working to, to get to that, that level loading to, to the extent that we can. So maybe we'll have some uh, some answers for you here in six months and we can, we can talk about it in another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's those, those, you know so they, these are not easy problems to solve when there's longstanding ingrained habits like you, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, the room being assigned to a patient uh, for the day and the opportunity to you know, try to ask in a non-threatening way, why are, you know, why are we doing this way? Uh, well, we've always done it this way. OK, why mm-hmm. have we always done it this way? Um, not always easy conversations to have, but um, if you're able to engage people the right way, you're, yeah. you're going to make progress, I think, like uh, like you're seeing. Yeah. And I think, you know, all the stuff we're, we're talking about and I think all the stuff you read about lean sometimes can come off as deceptively easy, but it's it's not. It's not, you know, it was tough conversations with, you know, going out to our top 40 surgeons and talking about the changes, hearing the good and the bad, you know, it was boots on the ground hearing everything. And I think that's really what it takes. It takes a lot of respect and listening and understanding their concerns. And this is going to go into the, the level loading and then getting together with that group and saying, this is what we hear and this is what we want. How do we get there? So, Yeah, well, I think, yeah, you're right. And, you know, lean concepts can seem relatively simple, but once yeah. you get more than a handful of people involved in working with an organization yeah. and that, that gets really, that gets complicated very quickly. That's very fast. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for you know sharing a little bit about um, the, the lean design process and how that's been building upon um, lean process improvement, lean management systems. Um, there, as I, as I mentioned before, I'll have the excerpt uh, from the book available on the blog post for this episode. Um, Isaac, you have, you have a poster. Am I able to, to share that as something that, that people can view? Absolutely. And um, uh, I think you mentioned we, I'll be speaking on this also at the uh, upcoming SHS conference as well. If people want to learn more about that. Yes. And that, that was the other thing we were going to talk about here. Yeah. Uh, SHS, the Society for health systems, um, like I mentioned earlier, um, the upcoming. Let me let me mention first, and I want to l- let you talk about some of your uh, involvement here. Um, the upcoming, the annual conference is going to be March first through third, um, twenty seventeen, in Orlando. Um, it's I, I really this is one of my favorite conferences of of the year. I've attended for I think almost every year for eleven. This will be maybe, maybe twelve years now. The whole time I've been in healthcare. Um, Really, you know, a lot of uh, industrial engineers, not just IEs. You have nurses like uh, your colleague uh, Marty there. Um, you know, people who are applying the whole range of industrial engineering methods: lean, uh, Six Sigma, simulation modeling, uh, human factors, and ergonomics. Um, it's a really—it's uh, more than just a lean conference. Um, it's a, a great place to come and learn and, and network. And, and Isaac, you've been involved in, in different ways. Can you talk about some of your participation and, and leadership role in uh, the conference and the society? Absolutely. Yeah, I've been involved with the Institute of Industrial Engineers since uh, since undergrad, and uh, it's been a great resource. But like you, as soon as I moved into the healthcare field, uh, I joined Society of Health Systems and been involved with the conference and. Uh, uh, this is one of my favorite conferences. Uh, 
But one of my favorite things about this is not only the content, but you go back every year and it's like a, a reunion of a family, you know, friends that you've met over the years, people you can call on when you have, you know, issues, you know, hey, you know, Carl, I'm having issues with on-time starts. What are your thoughts on this? What have you done at your hospital? And they get back with you in, you know, a couple hours, just a great opportunity there, you know. Uh, I've been involved with the Society of Health Systems through uh, anywhere from, you know, doing introductions on presentations to um uh, presentation reviews, and uh, now I've had the uh, the great opportunity to uh, serve on their their board of directors, and uh, uh, really hopefully uh, move the the society one step uh, better uh, towards the better. So uh -huh. it's been great, and uh, it's great to be there every year and learn from the different the different groups. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking about our work at Children's Hospital, and I'm also looking forward to uh, our talk. Mark, Mark, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and you know, it's not even so much uh, our, our talk, but the session um, I, you know, that, that Isaac and I are uh, collaborating on. We're going to be leading a session or facilitating a session based on an approach called open space or open space technology, where uh, the people who come to the room uh, will brainstorm different topics that they want to talk about in different groups. And as they say in this approach, people vote with their feet of what, which discussion they want to be a part of. And uh, there's post-it notes and uh, flip charts and, and, and people brainstorm questions and topics within different topics. It's a really, I, I think, a you know, very organic way of um, structuring and organizing discussion, um, you know, things that the people in the room want to talk about. So I'm, I'm glad that um, the SHS conference is um, going to add that variety to it. Um, the presentations and other sessions are, are great, but we, we hope people um, will, will, for one, come to the conference. Um, again, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Orlando. Uh, I'll have a link to the conference info here on uh, the blog page for, for this episode as well. And then, uh, you know, come come to our session. So, you know, I'll be there. Isaac will be there. Um, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces. So uh, come, come talk to us. Uh, we can maybe... Um, get together in the evening and, and debate the merits of uh, Tennessee whiskey, Kentucky bourbon, <laughs> and and Texas whiskey if if they if they have any of our fine states product uh, available. But um, no, yeah, no, so no. love to make new friends. So uh, come come find us there, and uh, we'll have some good discussion. But uh, I think this will be a, a neat session. You know, um, some of my favorite things about these conferences is again meeting people, but it's the discussions we have in between sessions and the discussions we have at dinner, and that's what we're hoping to bring in addition uh, to the open space and really have these great discussions as a group on what's important to them. So yeah. it'll be an interesting experiment. I'm looking forward to it this year. Yeah. So thank you for, uh, for, for pitching that idea, Isaac, and, and thank you for um, everything you're doing and, and what you're sharing um, to help inspire others to improve uh, in healthcare. I really appreciate it. And, and thank you for, for being a guest here on the podcast today. Oh, I'm honored, Mark, and it's always been a pleasure. You know, as I made my uh, switch to uh, healthcare, uh, I got you know, you know hooked on your books, uh, Lean Hospital, Healthcare Kaizen, and uh, you've really uh, helped me with the transition and been you know kind of that mentor and that help along the way. So uh, thanks for your opportunity, and always uh, look forward to catching up. Uh, well, thank thank you. I appreciate that. And maybe uh, last last uh, question: If people want to uh, connect with you online or, or reach out, how do you suggest they do that? Uh, probably the easiest way is uh, you can go to my website. It's uh, Isaac B. Boy Mitchell, IsaacBMitchell.com, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm sure Mark will give you all that information. So I'd uh, love to make that connection and uh, uh, network and hopefully meet soon. So 
All right. I, I hope people will uh, will take you up on that and uh, and find you online. Um, again, our uh, guest has been Isaac Mitchell from East Tennessee Children's Hospital and the Society for Health Systems. Thank you so much again for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.